Happy Monday, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Well, the Atlantic magazine, who's gone after church right organizations like Church Militant, good guys in the Catholic Church, has done it again. The author named Dan Pennington, 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 a museum worker and an online hate researcher, according to his byline in Twitter, has written an article calling the Rosary Extremist. A lot of you have already heard about it by now. We're going to talk about the stupidity, the irony after irony on parade in this ridiculous uh, smut rag article. By the way, within 12 hours of the article coming out, or maybe 18, this coward, can we, do we have a picture of Dan Peniton? Yep, he's up. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the unfortunate name. unmitigated temerity to make fun of us. When you look like this, and your byline is museums worker and online hate researcher, he, but here's the other thing. He's extra cowardly. I'll read a few excerpts from his garbage article. But he changed the title. The original title strongly insinuated that now the aficionados of the Rosary are extremists. Uh, the original title being how the Rosary became an extremist symbol. And he didn't have the, the nuts to stand by this article title, and he changed it, Atlantic did anyway, to how extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. The main irony of ironies in this article is the following line here. Let me read you. These armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned into something dangerously literal, meaning it's dangerous that the rosary would actually be literally constructed as a weapon. Now, this son of a gun, God bless him, doesn't understand that the rosary within a century of its inception by St. Dominic, we'll go through a tiny bit of the history today, by the way, was quite literally taken at the Battle of Lepanto to be the most potent weapon within a millennium for Christians. The, the Battle of Lepanto literally is celebrated as a victory, not due to the army, but due to the power of the rosary. We'll talk about Pius V. We'll talk about the Turks who got slaughtered at our hands, at the hands of uh, just mighty Christendom, even though they didn't have the odds or the numbers. The rosary has always been conceived of a weapon, but this neophyte, Dan Pannington, doesn't understand that... Such is not a development of thought. Such is what the rosary has been conceived of for mostly its entire history. So what a, what a world, right? Um, there's, there's lots of fun to be had at this guy's expense. I mean, hey, just look at his picture. And, of course, we're going to talk about some of the extra ironies there. In other news from around the church, on bishopaccountability.org, last week was posted a farewell letter from a whistleblower two former fellow priests. This is actually, this comes from last month, but people were talking about it in the last couple of weeks and I never touched it. It begins with the line, dear, no longer fellow priests. And he says, essentially has a, a snit over the fact that he's been laicized. Opening, this will likely be my farewell letter to most of you, which may be glad timings to those of you who do not enjoy hearing from me, which sounds like Sounds like a bunch of people I'd like to be friends with, frankly. And he goes on to enumerate three reasons, three uh, causes for the snit. And those three causes are, I think in the order he gives them, the groomer crisis in the church, which is a, a, a cause indeed that should be celebrated, should be a cause celeb. So I got no problems there. And then number two, that women don't have a place in the church, so it sounds like he's going in different directions. Is this guy schizo or what? And number three, to prove he's completely schizo, after bemoaning the groomer crisis in the church, he says that the church mistreats groomer types, LGBTQs, and has uh, uh, some sort of, I'm using my own language here, programmatic scheme of hatred and exclusion as against the groomer types, LGBTQ. So which is it, man? I mean, 
I know, look, it's 2022. It's the latter half of the year now, folks. Parish orphans, retrogrades. And the news just gets stranger and stranger. But it's, it's more than strange. It's becoming just outright oxymoronic headlines, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's quitting because uh, there are too many groomers. Then num- reason number one, then reason number two is philosophically incoherent feminist nonsense. Then number three is that we're being too mean to the groomers. So this guy, his name is uh, Tim Steyer, who served for decades as a priest in the Diocese of Oakland, California. And he sent this letter at the beginning of the summer, basically May 31st. And I'm just getting around to it now. It's, it's, it's pretty funny, though. Um, butt philosophy on parade, since now people are, are using this term, the butt philosophers in the church. The guys that say, hey, the, the grooming is wrong. You know, the, the LGBT pedo grooming that has taken hold, can, festers like a canker at the heart of the church because of all of these LGBTQs that were planted in the church sometime last cent, uh, century by Stalinists and Freemasons. This is a big problem. But, he, see, he's the butt philosopher, but we should be nice to the groomer types. We should be nice to those who have stolen into the church and who have been grooming people. What total butt philosopher. Okay. You know? And last but not least, uh, I, I'm, I'm reacting to a tweet by Deacon Nick Donnelly. A lot of you follow him on Twitter. I do too. And he screenshotted an interesting development in the burgeoning suppression of the Tridentine Latin Mass, which is becoming as if we didn't know all along. Everywhere evident that this thing is being, you know, golden parachuted out, the TLM, out of our midst as Catholics by Francis in the wake of Traditionis Custodes, a confusing moment where Pope Francis, you know, attacked traditionalists, attacked the Tridentine Latin Mass, but gave the power back in a kind of false aping of subsidiarity to individual bishops. You think, well, at least if I had a good bishop, this is last summer, July 16th, if I have a good bishop, I should be okay, right? Or even just a non-noxious bishop, I'll still have the Latin Mass, right? No, wrong. It has been more apparent, I'd say, the last five months, in particular this summer, the last two to three, that this is a time-release poison pill. Um, I'll read the screenshot Donnelly uh, shared. Contra traditionis custodis pro immemorial Roman rite. Crucial information. Joseph Shaw has obtained a copy of the form letter that it would appear, it would appear Arthur Roche, congregation prefect for, I guess, divine worship, is sending to every bishop who requests permission for any priest to celebrate the Old Mass. So I think we're speculating a tad, I think it's reasonable, highly likely speculation, that this is, in fact, a form letter that's being sent out to any requester for the TLM. I'll begin the quote now. This dicastery is of the opinion that this permission would not be an opportune decision. Therefore, we deny the request. The path established by the Holy Father in Traditionis Custodis is quite clear, and this has been underscored both in the letter to the bishops of the whole world, which accompanied the motu proprio, and in the responsa ad dubia of this dicastery, which were personally approved by the Holy Father. Remember, we're still waiting, I think going on six years now, for the response to the goodly four Dubia Brothers Dubia, led by Cardinal Burke and Cardinal Branmuller. The Dubia as concerning communion for the divorced and civilly remarried. Never responded to those. But as concerning Dubia about Traditionis Custodis, the Holy Father responded within six months. Or within nine months, I should say. Quite fast. In this latter document, with regard to this very point, it was highlighted that the liturgical reform of the Second Vatican Council has enhanced every element of the Roman Rite and has fostered, as hoped for by the Council Fathers, the full conscious and active participation of the entire people of God in the liturgy. 
Sacrosanctum Concilium number 14. The primary source of authentic Christian spirituality. Now, this is a hell of a claim. This is a hell of a claim. To make the claim that the liturgical reform of the Second Vatican Council has enhanced every element of the Roman rite? Wow. I mean, this isn't even what the normies, who sort of defend the Novus Ordo, say, trouble themselves to to bend their logic into a pretzel, such as to, to be able to still, with a straight face, look at what happens in the Novus Ordo and say, well... This isn't what um, what Sacrosanctum Concilium ordered, and it's not exactly even what the latter, the later Missal of Saint Paul the Sixth of, of Pope Paul the Sixth ordered. And you're like, well, yeah, that's kind of true. They're claiming that the Mass, as it was instantiated, as it actually came down to us, as it appeared, was has enhanced the TLM in every element, every aspect, and has fostered, as hoped for, the full conscious and active participation of the entire people of God in the liturgy? That's a big, stupid claim. Uh, It's cringe. And just, it's a hot take. No one believes it. With vulgar displays of power, if, look, if you're a tyrant, if you're a demagogue, and you make vulgar displays of power, like Francis with Traditionis Custodes. I don't think Steph, dear Steph, dear sweet, sweet, loving, naive Steph, I don't think he's trying to fool anyone. The purpose of the implementation of a vulgar display of power is not to convince anyone of the veracity of the vulgar display of power. It's the implementation itself, which is why uh, Alexandria uh, uh, OC, uh, what is it? What's her middle name? I don't even know. Yeah, some... AOC. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. Why she will go on and wax philosophically and poetically as a socialist for her entire tenure in the United States Congress, but then she'll buy publicly. A $50,000 ball gown or, or something. A five-figure ball gown. I think it's $50,000. People say, ah, ah, the, the, the liberals, they're hypocrites. It's not hypocrisy, man. It's intentional. They're showing you that they don't play by the rules they, they lay down. So if you're one of these conservative fools that thinks that you've got them, then, then the joke is on you. The purpose is the public, scandalous contradiction between the radicals' words and deeds. Showing, even more than that, showing that they, not you, can get away with what otherwise might be called hypocrisy. An impasse between their words and deeds. Same thing when when dumb conservatives are like, oh, yeah, the left is so tolerant, right? No, the the radical left has never been tolerant, inside the church or outside the church. Look at Pope Francis. They are intolerant hate mongers. Pope Francis is an intolerant hate monger. This is the kind of man that passes out due to rage when he was talking about the original four dubia cardinals. Passed out, they thought he was dead for 10 minutes. Intolerant hate mongers, but he talks about nothing but peace, peace, tolerance, tolerance, while showing you with his behaviors, I don't have to follow this. I'm just saying conservatives, right wingers, men of goodwill, lovers of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they must be tolerant of us because we've stormed this most important institution of culture. All the other eight institutions of culture were stormed a little bit before, but now the church too has been stormed in, so the tolerant ones must be the right-wingers, the true believers. We're not going to be tolerant of them. We hold the power. We are the demagogues and pedagogues who sit in the position of authority now. Same thing with AOC, same thing with Pope Francis, same thing with Hillary Clinton, same thing with Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, all of them, okay? All the way down to Arthur Roche, most recent, I'll finish this, this quote. Most recently, the Holy Father's apostolic letter of 
June 29th, called Desiderio Desideravi on the liturgical formation of the people of God, expands on the above-mentioned letter to the bishops and reaffirms Pope Francis's desire that unity around the celebration of the liturgy be reestablished in the whole church of the Roman Rite. In paragraph number 61, of course, what's the one true way to have unity in the liturgy? Steph, you pointed this out last night. How do we have unity in the liturgy? Is it with the Novus Ordo? No. What has linguistic unity? The TLM, right? Why? Because it's one language. It's one language. If you want unity, you love the TLM. This is your point. If you want disunity, you start using the vernacular. Now, where they want unity is in the abuses, indirect and direct, of the Eucharist. That's where they want most churches around the West to be the same. But in any um, blasphemy, novelty, creativity, that's encouraged. Okay, so you guys get the point. These are just things that are going on. The TLM is uh, really very now realistically in threat, under pain, of vanishing. I still, and, and some people are still confused. I still am not, I'm not sure who Pope Francis is. I mean, he's, he's Pope. You know, assume he's Pope for now. Hope that, that one of these theories pans out because he just gets worse and worse. But assume he's Pope for now. You got to go with the church, right? Okay? That's a, call him Pope Francis. I wonder who he really is. I wonder what the details will illuminate as we learn them later, after his life. Most, most people listening now will presumably outlive Pope Francis and hopefully we'll get some of the details of... All of the 10% of the scandals that have risen to light in his pontificate that, we've, that are public now, hopefully we'll get many more of the details. And then the 90%, I'm assuming, iceberg theory, 90% or so more scandals that we don't know about. I'm guessing that's how icebergs work. That's how scandalous figures, hateful demagogues like Pope Francis work. Hopefully we'll find out all the details after his life. And hopefully it'll be enough to do something to invalidate nearly everything or everything with a wink and a nod that he's done in office. I just don't know. So I call him Pope Francis, and I assume he's Pope Francis. But, um, whew, but I mean, this is, this is some world, and it just gets worse and worse, and he really is moving now. We have the evidence to, to destroy altogether the... Tridentine Latin Mass, and you know why, because people, because the good people love it, and because it reveres clearly the Eucharist. But you guys are still confused by the fact that I'm like, assuming this is this is Pope Francis, which I do. Um, yeah, there's nothing. I, I I've seen uh, document after document from the Council of Trent giving essentially plenary powers to the Pope. The Council of Trent just never assumed we would have a man like this in the pontificate, in the throne of Peter. That's that's the real curveball that this has thrown all of us. But some people are still like, wait, I thought you debated Tim Flanders to the effect that the Pope hasn't overstepped his bounds. I'm like, well, this is evil. I'm just saying, I don't think the Pope, like when you go to heaven, like if you're the possibility to exercise your free will in a disordered way and sin is gone. I think a lot of traditionalists and Novus Ordo faithful Catholic types assume that the Pope doesn't have free will to do evil things. He's given the plenary office, and you might think, well, that, that's kind of naive of the Church to give him plenary power. But, um, yeah, the, the, several, several Tridentine documents make it really particularly in, as regards the mass and the disciplines sound very closely like a total full plenary power so i don't i don't back off anything i'm just saying it's it's totally evil 
And uh, if Tim Flanders were right and I were wrong, which I don't believe, then I, I would be thrilled. I still will be thrilled to hear that one. All right, really quickly, I want to make a plug before we get on to this Atlantic article. I want to make a plug for TimothyJGordon.com's Retrogrades Classical Academy. At Retrogrades Classical Academy, now that the school year is starting up, we have a combination, most semesters, of pre-recorded classes and live classes. The pre-recorded classes are the ones I really want to highlight now for homeschoolers of particularly middle school, high school, and for folks who are taking my advice in my new book, Don't Go to College, and not going to college, getting married, and getting a job in the trades, you can still learn tons of stuff that you wouldn't have learned in college if you'd gone anyway, because they won't teach it to you. Aristotelian ethics, that's its own class on timothyjgordon.com. Real church history, we call it true European history. It's a a quirky title for the same course. We'll teach you that. It will shock you. It'll open your eyes. Real American history, lots of shocking truths. Go to timothyjgordon.com. Latin, first semester, intro to Latin, and second semester, intro to Latin. We have a Tolkien class now. Shortly, there will be a Father Elijah class up. We have a class offered on Catholic Republic, where I lecture each chapter. Do we have a class on uh, rules for retrogrades? Yes, we do. Lots of lo- uh, lots and lots of other interesting stuff. Go to timothyjgordon.com today. You guys already know that it's almost fall, and that before the midterm elections, it would be best to be in a red state. Things are getting more and more volatile, crazier and crazier. Get from your blue state to a red state today. Go to realestateforlife.org. Get from the reddest of the red, like California and New York, the bluest of the blue, like California and New York, to the reddest of the red, like Mississippi or Alabama. You've heard me say it so many times, but do it. If you're still in a blue state, get out today. Okay. So now today we're talking about the, the butt philosopher, Dan Paniton, who wrote the Atlantic's anti-rosary article. He's a butt philosopher because he insinuates by both of this article's titles. The rosary, I'm not saying that by itself, per se, it's a bad thing, but the people that pray it are bad guys. They're Christian white nationalists or whatever. Doesn't doesn't mean they're a bad guy to me, but he thinks that's a, a slur. The rosary started out as some sort of holy bead prayer thing that these Christians use, but now it's being used as a weapon. The rosary was not originally a weapon, but now it's being turned into one in a disordered way by all of these folks. Well, guess what, Mr. Painton? When you write, these armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned into something dangerously literal, the joke's on you, friendo. How did extremist gun culture try to co-opt the rosary? Yeah, I like guns. I love the Second Amendment. I love gun culture. I love hunting culture. I love self-defense culture. On Rules for Retrogrades, these things are not four-letter words. But we're not co-opting the rosary. And I love the rosary. I love the rosary. It's a big part of my household. It's an integral part of my household. But we're not co-opting it. Co-opting implies a fundamental, substantial change, if I'm to use the Aristotelian language. It implies that something with essential properties is being turned into something else that lacks those essential properties and has other essential properties. The rosary was always, or almost always, a weapon in Christian history. We're going to talk a little bit about the Battle of Lepanto. But I will say that, before we go further, the Atlantic seems to have co-opted your original article title, which was How the Rosary Became an Extremist Symbol, and co-opted it and perverted it and changed the title because they're getting more pushback than they wanted into how extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. I know this because uh, the first place I saw uh, a tweet was Michael Knowles, my pal at Daily Wire, 
tweeted this out with a, a quippy, quippy retweet with comment involving the Battle of Lepanto and, and saying, this, the butts, you're the butt of the joke, Dan Paniton. The, the joke is on you. This thing was always a weapon. And then I retweeted it with a link to the article. And then I, you know, luckily Knowles had screenshotted the original article title. And um, this morning when I got up and I looked at my tweet, of course, since I hadn't screenshotted the title, I just linked to it. It got changed in the tweet. How extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. And I was like, but I thought it was called how the rosary became an extremist symbol. Yada, yada, yada. Ten seconds later, I figured, oh, this, this guy or the Atlantic or some combination of them changed it. Why would they change it? Interrogate, friends. Why would they change it? They're trying to get pushback, right? By attacking Catholics. But they want pushback from the right folks. In their view. They want pushback from... They want to be offending the correct people from the perspective of their worldview. You understand? When you see an article title change, when you see a deleted tweet, when you see someone that hung a piece on their substack and then take it down or alter the title. What it means, and I'm, this isn't even always, I mean, I'm not saying I've never deleted a tweet. What it means, even in the case of me or a right-winger that's, that's done this, I think we've all deleted tweets. Even if you haven't thought about what the essential property of what happened there is, you got pushback, or I got pushback, but from the wrong crowd. If I do a tweet and my non-shrill, very sensible wife, who usually <laughs> will help me craft tweets and she's as extreme. I think I got in more trouble on Twitter. Than yeah, you, you, had, well, you had to pull your ass off Twitter. But when she's like, ooh, this is going to go bad. Uh, uh, not all the time, but a good portion of the time, I'm like, this, this lady has good judgment. So what it means is it's offensive to... People in your camp, your tribe, or it's offensive to adjacents to your tribe that are adjacent enough, close enough, that you're like, well, I should probably take this down. So how the rosary became an extremist symbol, you know why this uh, PAB, Dan Paniton, took it down, right? You know it's because the, the uh, grammar and the syntagmatic logic of the title how the rosary became an extremist symbol. This is saying directly, not even indirectly, that the rosary is now an extremist symbol. So you know they got pushback from a bunch of even left cats. I'm not saying most left cats love the rosary, but they're offending the normies, the Atlantic. And remember, what are these Marxist Luciferian, enemy of the state, enemy of the people rags like the Atlantic really trying to do, they're trying to brainwash, to bewitch, to bedevil the normies out there. And they're usually very good at it. That's what normies are. They're people that think that they're probably center or maybe even center right, but who are every day, night in, night out, bedeviled, bewitched by the radical left, which runs everything. They run all the institutions of culture. So this is a moment when you see, oh, I know exactly why the hell this, uh, this son of a gun took this thing down and re restructured it, or at least why the Atlantic felt the need to do so. How extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. Now, let's have a look at the history of the rosary while I get this up, just to fully appreciate the stupidity of Dan Paniton to... to let sink in how dumb it is to, to, to say something this obliquely ironic, you know, and not get it. He's not trying to be clever. Let's start with the Battle of Lepanto. A naval engagement, I don't usually go to Wikipedia, but this, this had a, a pretty, good, pretty good synopsis. A naval engagement from 1571, you know, about 100 years after uh, what we generally take to be the advent, the gifting of the rosary to St. Dominic, when a fleet of the Holy League, a coalition of Catholic states, 
arranged by based Pope Pius V, inflicted a major defeat on a fleet of the Ottoman Empire, the Turks, in the Gulf of Patras. The Ottoman forces were sailing westward from their naval station in Lepanto when they met the fleet of the Holy League, which was sailing east from Messina, Sicily. The Spanish Empire and Venetian Republic were the main powers of the coalition, based Spanish Empire and based Venetian Republic. I have a, I have a Nazi on Veneta uh, San Marco picture up in my office. Would you hand that to me, Steffi, please? Um, you know, there are separatists who want to be a uh, break away the way American states need to break away from our uh, uh, queer, corrupt federal leviathan um in italy it's this it's san marco nazi on veneton i'm I'm not sure i would endorse all of their means but the point is or i and i'm not sure i i don't watch the movement that closely or anything so they might consider themselves freedom fighters they might do some things i don't know about but the point is in under the aegis of san marco saint mark Venice, which was a republic of its own, little Venice, a beautifully small-sized republic for a thousand years and stood on its own, got swept into corrupt, unified Italy, same thing as the papal states that Pio Nono hated, and they understand what it takes to be a republic, at least the original Venetians did, the original... uh, Papal states had republic-like qualities. And remember, Pius IX, Pio Nono, was very sympathetic to the American Confederate states because in his mind, there's much evidence to suggest big, corrupt Lincoln and the big, corrupt American federal government, which was forcing all of the little subsidiary governments into one big, corrupt, you know, morally bespoilt continent or subcontinent, like Italy or America, they didn't like it, and neither did the Venetian people. So the papal states shouldn't be a part of big, corrupt Italy. It's like the size of a subcontinent. That's too big to be a republic, the papal states. Too big to be a true um, monarchy. Well, Venice understands it got swept into Italy, and Italy's a subcontinent. It's too big to be a republic as well. And things worked beautifully when Little Venice was a republic. And they were very, very, by the way, they're what I want. The original Venetian Republic, small, very Catholic republics. This is not libertarianism, even if I like Austrian economics. This is subsidiarianism, a small Catholic republic, the size of Delaware or Rhode Island. That's what's beautiful. That's what... Venice, which stood on its own for about 1,100 years until it well, a few things happened. We're not doing the whole history of that. But they're so Catholic that they're part of the Holy League, based Holy League. Now, the Sp- Spain was an empire, but the Venetian Republic was tiny, and they're the two main powers in the Holy League. Um, the League was largely financed by Philip II of Spain, and Venice was the main contributor of ships. That's so based. And they, according to... Uh, most sources, that this is kind of controverted, but they were able to, under small, really bad odds, they were able to kill, put down at this engagement about 30,000 Muslim Turks in 1571 with not great odds. And they, as Knowles points out, without a single AR-15. Now, a lot of you do know that this was not the advent of the rosary. This is not when the rosary was originally gifted to mankind. The rosary came from the previous century, which some folks are are um, contesting. They think it came from a couple centuries back. But it was originally essentially a prayer given to St. Dominic. It's a kind of act of heaven. So look up, look up the history of the rosary. Um... They're different. This is also Wikipedia, so read with care. 
There are differing views on the history of the rosary. The exact origin of the rosary is a prayer is less than clear and subject to debate. This is mainly the modernists who are attempting to controvert this the last hundred years. The use of knotted prayer ropes in Christianity goes back to Desert Fathers, which is true, third and fourth centuries, outside ailing, corrupt Rome. As soon as Christianity became popular, like all popular things, even though that's good, it became bourgeois. And so we had the Desert Fathers fleeing outside the cities to the deserts, and they did start using knotted prayer ropes, but that wasn't a rosary. Counting devices are, are very simple. Uh, the author of Tribes with Flags, who was um, a journalist, was taken hostage by Muslims in the 80s, I believe, May, kept fashioning a rosary, just knotted prayer bead, um, and the Muslims kept taking it away from him. You can, you can make knotted prayer beads easily. That's why the Desert Fathers use them. But it's called the Jesus Prayer in Christian monasticism. And the period after the first Council of Ephesus in 431 witnessed gradual growth in the use of Marian prayers. Um, th this is basically true. And, of course, the specific meditation and adoration of the rosary uh, during Hail Mary prayer was attributed to St. Dominic in the 15th century, a Carthusian monk who called it the life of Jesus rosary. Another ridiculous reason why people, Protestants who don't like the rosary, they think it's too Marian. It's, it's the life of Jesus. It's also why I'm a trad, you're a trad, most people are trads here, but I, I, I don't understand why folks get all their, their panties in a wad over the luminous mysteries. The luminous mysteries are, are some of the most beautiful mysteries. Yes, they're new, so we trads sort of distrust them, but they're some of my favorites. Uh, and they make really clear whether you're talking about 15, 15 mysteries or 20 mysteries after the luminous were added, that um, this is the life of Jesus, Rosary. It's all about Jesus, not Mary. To Jesus, through Mary, as we Catholics have always said, Dan Paniton. We've always said that. We say we pray to Jesus through Mary via the Rosary, and yes, it's a weapon. There is a war, as Earth Crisis once sang, and this is a weapon. They were saying it, the Venetians, at the Battle of Lepanto. These guys who understand what a true republic is, small and Catholic, not a continent-sized, a large city-sized. The Venetians were saying it at the Battle of Lepanto. There is a war. This is a weapon. And if we fight the war the right way and for the right reasons, God will... Lay low our enemies, Dan Paniton. I'm not saying I'm not saying you don't understand that. You just don't seem to understand the implications of it, Dan. Uh, okay, so yeah, people, it's it's not heavily controverted in a way you need to think about. Uh, of course, Wikipedia can't allow the truth to ring out and resound in all its splendor. So they have to say that in, in 1977, however, a theologian from Trier named. Andreas Hines discovered a Vita Christi rosary that dated to 1300. Normally that's good. Normally the modernists are trying to discover things that invalidate the earlier usages of Christian prayer, liturgy, sacraments, sacramentals. Now they're trying to push the date back to separate it from St. Dominic and a century later from the Battle of Lepanto. But guess what? You can't do it. The Christian victory at Lepanto, 1571, once again, was attributed to the praying of the rosary by the masses of Europeans based on the request of Pope Pius V and eventually resulted in Our Lady of the Rosary. In 1569, two years before, the papal bull Consuevarunt Romani Pontifices established the devotion to the rosary in the Catholic Church. And of course, in 2002, JP2 introduces the Luminous Mysteries. I don't really like tinkering either, guys. Whether you like it or not, the Luminous Mysteries are beautiful. You want to call the institution of the Eucharist stupid or banal or something? You said it, not me. <laughs> you want to call the baptism of Jesus stupid or banal? You said it, not me. Um, wedding feast of Cana, our Lord's first, his coming out party for his miracles. You said it, not me. You want, uh, our Lady's most beautiful line in the entire New Testament and Jesus's most beautiful line about his mother in the entire New Testament? You said it, not me. So anyway, 
that's a quick run through the history of the rosary. You can find uh, Catholic YouTube channels that do it in more of its plenitude, but I think that that does the point. We stand, we uh, Roman Catholics, we stand for things like what the Holy League does, the original Venetian Republic before it was swept into the corrupt, corrupting big government of unified Italy. We kneel, we don't stand as we pray the rosary. And yes, it's a weapon, Dan Paniton, and it's always been a weapon. You bet your cotton dockers, man. I don't know what to say, but I, I, I wish that the Atlantic would have kept the original article. People could see the, the normies out there. This audience is retrogrades and parish orphans. They know there's been a double cross. There's been a whole series of double crosses, and we're at the business end of all of them. You, me, friends, parish orphans and retrogrades, we know that this is the age of absconding fathers, and we're, we're all parish orphans. We've been double-crossed time and time again as Christian, as particularly Catholics, as heterosexuals, as Jesus, Mary, Joseph lovers, as sacrament lovers, as white people, you know, that's one that we don't talk about on this channel a, a ton. Um, you know, there's, look, we welcome everyone with open arms, but particularly if you're a white person, there's an extra double cross there. Society is just a bunch of folks coming at you in the dark, knives out. And the more of these categories, if you're a white, straight, Catholic, particularly a rad trad Catholic male, men, much more than women, more directly than women, Women kind of shot themselves in the foot with feminism, but, but men more directly than women. We've been double-crossed time and time again, and now it's become really apparent that what they're doing is coming for the TLM. You bet your ass we have a weapon. It's the rosary. <laughs> this article also, uh, I'll, I'll read just a little bit of it because it, it's, there's some funny lines. I, you, can't, you can't not laugh. You bet your ass we say Deus Volt. They talk about this. And the, the, they linked to 4chan and 8chan and all these folks that use Catholic imagery. Uh, they, they talk, some of the articles they link to talk about Nicholas J. Fuentes, who's a Catholic. And um, some of his fans called Groypers say Deus Volt. You know? I mean, look, man, all I'm going to say is this. Reagan's rule... We do not talk ill, in general, about fellow Catholics. And we do not talk ill about people that say Deus Volt, even if you don't like everything they do. There's no human being whose every action any of us agree. We're not even going to go through the boilerplate uh, ritual hand-washing language. We stand by... Catholics, particularly America first Catholics, even those with a competing scope of government to my own. I want small government. But um, I'll tell you right now, I'm happy that there are enough people with enough points of view, even if they're somewhat disparate from, from mine, that are close enough to mine to be grouped into this group of deplorables being signaled against in this How the Rosary Became an Extremist sig uh, Symbol article. The AR-15 is a sacred object among Christian nationalists. Now, radical traditional Catholics are bringing a sacrament of their own to the movement. And, and folks on, on Twitter were uh, debating whether or not this idiot Dan Paniton knew whether it was a sacramental, not a sacrament. Um, there, it, 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 some places in the article, he rightly calls it a sacramental, other places he calls it a sacrament. Deus Volt, I'm glad that there are Catholic groipers out there that also say Deus Volt. I've been using this uh, call sign, sign off since, I think, you know, the TNT show. And I found there are a bunch of other kids saying this. It comes from largely the Battle of Lepanto and some of the other um, 
more hotly contended crusades, like the Eighth, they would say, Deus Volt, God wills it. This, there's a war. This, this is a weapon, man. And it's not dangerous that it's being taken literally. On this extremist fringe, Dan Paniton writes, Rosary beads have been woven into a conspiratorial politics, an absolutist gun culture. Hells yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah, of course. These armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned it into something dangerously literal. Dan Paniton, you are something else. You're a real blue flame special. I have so many guns in my house, Dan Paniton, it would make your head spin. I have a lot. I have a lot. We just went out in the RV this weekend to a wedding, and I I take guns with me. So, and I take the other weapon, the rosary, with me in in the car every time I go out. Their social media pages, Paniton writes, are saturated with images of rosaries draped over firearms, based. Warriors in prayer, even more effing based, man. Deus Volt, crusader memes. God wills it. He has to interpret it. Awesome. And exhortations for men to rise up and become church militants. Yep. Dope. Damn right. Well, that's a white pill. Influencers on platforms such as Instagram share posts referencing everyday carry. F yeah. Mm -hmm. And gat check. Gat is slang for firearm, Dan writes. (laughs) That includes soldiers' battle beads, handguns, and assault rifles. One artist posts illustrations of his favorite Catholic saints, clergy, and influencers toting AR-15-style rifles labeled Sanctum Rosarium alongside violently homophobic screeds that are celebrated by social media accounts with thousands of followers. Dude, whoever that is, I don't know who that is, but I'd like to be friends. Uh, the theologian and historian Massimo Fagioli, I've talked about Fagioli lots on this channel. Fagioli has described a network of conservative Catholic bloggers and commentary organizations as a Catholic cyber militia. I, uh, I did a show, I think, when Fagioli said this, that actively campaigns against LGBTQ acceptance in the church. Well, you don't have to actively campaign. It's completely... Uh, proscribed by the church. Dan Paniton. We're just pointing to the text. You don't even need your rosary weapon to do this. You just like, yeah, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read uh, any of the papal encyclicals on on homosexuality and the clergy? Do you know what words they use for these folks, these LGBT folks? These rad-trad rosary as weapon memes represent a social media diffusion of such messaging, and they work to integrate ultra-conservative Catholicism. I'm glad you acknowledge that Catholicism is ultra-conservative, Dan, with other aspects of online far-right culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hat tip. The phenomenon might be tempting to dismiss as mere trolling or merchandising. No. And ironical provocations based on traditionalist Catholic symbols do exist, but the far right's constellation of violent, racist, and homophobic online milieus are well documented for providing a pathway to radicalization and real-world terrorist attacks. Well, maybe I mean it depends what you mean by radicalization. What terrorist attacks? What terrorist about? attacks? Dude, look, bro, you wrote this. If you wrote an article like this about Muslim prayer beads, you would be the subject of a fatwa right now. And you know what? Those boys don't play around, Dan. Have you heard of Salman Rushdie? That's like 30 years old. These, these cats mean it when you're talking about terrorist attacks. No one's gonna, you know no one's going to terrorist attack you. You don't have the nuts to write an article like this on the actual terrorist attackers. But now, folks like me who stockpile weapons and food and rosaries and the like... We're talking about a defensive warfare. We're talking about spiritual combat that does, in fact, bleed over into real-world combat from time to time. And we're, we're trying to be ready. But we're talking about defensive war. Like the defensive war, that what you call the civil war, right? The war of northern aggression. Or like, 
When you're a defender, this is good and holy and just. When you're defending against encroachments by uh, grooming, pederast, overreaching Leviathan federal government, that means we're just watching and waiting, bro. That's all we're doing. So you know there are folks out there that are more into hot offensive warfare, kinetic warfare. And they're called the ones that we fought, the ones whose asses we kicked at the Battle of Lepanto. And you won't touch them. You won't touch them with a 10-foot cattle prod. So don't give me this shit about terrorist attacks. I just don't want to hear it. The rosary in these hands is anything but holy. But for millions of believers, the beads which provide an aid memoir for a sequence of devotional prayers are a widely recognized symbol of Catholicism and a source of strength. It's not just a symbol, but yes. And many take genuine sustenance from Catholic theology's concept of the church militant and the tradition of regarding the rosary as a weapon against Satan. It is. As Pope Francis said in a 2020 address, there is no path to holiness without spiritual combat. And Francis is only one of the many church officials who have endorsed the idea of the rosary as an armament in that fight. Uh, and then it gets kind of boring. I was just trying to trying to read some of the funnier parts, give you the sense of it. Radical traditional Catholics sustain their own cottage industry of goods and services that reinforces the radicalization. Rosaries are common among the merchandise on offer, some made of cartridge casings and complete with gunmetal finished crucifixes. I mean, are, are, yeah. Where can I buy those? Could you hyperlink those, Dan? We have no, I mean, he should have hyperlinked this and help a brother out. Know, this could have been a really great shopping list for all of us Catholics. Like, could you please give us links for these things? Because I'd like to buy all of them. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I, please. You could have at least helped a brother out. One Catholic online store, which describes itself as dedicated to offering battle-ready products and manuals to stand firm against the tactics of the devil, a New Testament reference, sells replicas of the rosaries, Issued to American soldiers during the First World War on combat rosaries. We that sounds so based. We have one. One of those? Yeah, we have one. Uh, it's in the RV. With uh, all your guns. Discernment consume. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> with all the guns. <laughs> now, with, with a small fraction of the guns. Discerning consumers can also buy a concealed carry permit for their combat rosary and a sacramental storage box resembling an ammunition can. He thinks you're joking. I mean, this all sounds really good stuff. I love it. Just provide links and get a small royalty share, Dan, and you'll, you won't have to be a museum worker or whatever. You won't have to be an online hate noter or whatever. You, could get a, you, could, you can actually live. Tim, it's an online hate notary. An online hate notary. In 2016, the Pontifical Swiss Guard accepted a donation of combat rosaries during a ceremony at the Vatican. Their commander described the gift as the most powerful weapon that exists on the market. Yes. yes. The, uh, the militarism also glorifies a warrior mentality and notions of manliness and male strength. Awesome. Dan, can, I mean, look, can we put Dan's picture up again? Yeah, let's do it. Let's Let me reread that sentence well, hold on while we put Dan's, Dan's visage up on the screen. So you can, you can get a look at the face which fronts the brain that wrote these words, that composed this line. He's, he's mocking this. The militarism also glorifies a warrior mentality. <laughs> That's dope. And notions of manliness and male strength. And he's mocking this. Look at Dan. This conflation of the masculine and the military is rooted in wider anxieties about Catholic manhood. The idea that it is in crisis has some currency among senior church figures and lay organizations. In 2015, too many Catholics look like you, Dan. In 2015, Bishop Thomas Olmsted of Phoenix issued an apostolic exhortation calling for renewal of traditional conceptions of Catholic masculinity titled Into the Breach, which led the Knights of Columbus, an influential fraternal order, to produce a video series promoting Olmsted's ideas. But among radical traditional Catholic men, such concerns take an extremist turn. I thought you're showing the concomitants. Between the Normier Knights of Columbus and the 
rad trad extremist, rooted in fantasies of violently defending one's family and church from marauders. You're not into that, Dan? Do you do you procreate, Dan? Let me say something. What sort of ladies go wild for Canadian museum workers <laughs> and online hate researchers. Okay? They do. I just want to be on record saying that. No, no, and the dudes. We don't wanna we don't wanna make assumptions. Dudes go wild for that too, Dan. I don't know what what team you're batting for, but either way, I'm not I'm not mocking it. I'm just saying ladies and dudes alike, uh every girl crazy about a museum working man. Right? About a sharp dressed museum working man. The ros- rosary's weapon also gives rad trad Catholic men both a distinctive signifier within Christian nationalism. This is just so gay. And a sort of membership passed to the new movement or to the movement. As a sociologist Andrew L. Whitehead and Samuel L. Perry wrote a note in Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States. Catholics used to be regarded as enemies by Christian nationalists. And, oh, because, um, yeah. And anti-Catholic nativism runs deep in American history. Today, Catholics are a growing contingent of Christian nationalism. Well, retrogrades and parish orphans, Dan, are... uh, a growing contingent of neo-Confederates. So add that to your list. Can I get some credit? Give me some credit here. Yeah, we're, not, we're, we're, we're Catholic neo-Confederates as opposed to Catholic nationalists. And of course, we want a bunch of nations that comprise America. I know. Why do we leave off the, uh, we want like a national divorce? Yeah. Like, come on. National divorce types are also being led by Catholics. All of these groups are being led by Catholics. Look, you got, you, you know, he's making oblique references to Nick Fuentes, who's a Catholic kid with a huge following, very devoted following. And he says a lot of good stuff, right? And you think, you think his jokes are a big deal, but the main thing I disagree with is, you know, if Nick, if you're listening, we need Catholic neo-Confederacy. We need a bunch of nations. We don't need this one continent-sized nation. Read what Pius IX said about queer, corrupting, huge Italy rolling in beautiful Venice in the Papal States, man. We need a little. Tinier is better. And you made some jokes publicly that I think should be made privately. But aside from that, <laughs> it's good that Catholics are leading all these, right? You got the Catholic integralists. I have even more disagreements with them, but the, the integralists and the post-liberals are largely led by Catholics. The anti row people, even though Dobbs is a Mississippi thing and Mississippi is very Baptist, all of the leading lawyers arguing this and all of the leading jurists implementing this are Catholics. Catholic neo-Confederates. One of the leaders of that movement is yours truly. Catholic. Uh, Textualists. The leading textualist in the world and all of his best students. Nino Scalia. Rest in peace, brother. Catholic. Uh, the Declarationists, who sort of push back against strict textualists, sometimes associated with Justice Thomas, though he's more of a textualist. Also Catholics. Catholics just lead everything, Dan Paniton. And you're still just a cop. And you make fun of manliness and military images. While That's looking the way he does. <laughs> well, of course. You're not going to make fun of it and look like uh, Jocko Willink, you know? <laughs> Oh, I'll accept it. <laughs> Jocko Willink can look like he does and make fun of anything, and I'll be like, well, okay. His jaws like Mount Rushmore, except with one head. Just granite. But when you... And obviously, he wouldn't make fun of manliness and masculinity. The point is parish orphans and retrogrades. The Atlantic does keep an eye, keeps one eye on what's going on in Catholicism all the time. Remember, they did this big write-up on uh, Church Militant's studio, which was kind of exciting, um, probably flattering, because no better way to judge a man than judge him by his enemies. Judge him by his friends, but judge him by his enemies. I was jealous when Church Militant got this big write-up by the Atlantic. They're afraid of, they're afraid of us. They know Catholics uh, intellectually, the Catholic intellectual tradition, runs the world we just were asleep for too many centuries during the reformation and the enlightenment when the masons took everything over we need to take it back but i don't want one world government or even continent-sized nations i want little little uh 
Venetian-type republics of the old order. I don't know everything that this group does, but I just like they're trying to restore Little Venice as a based, small, subsidiarian, Catholic integralist republic. God bless you. Deus Volt! Yes, sir. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.